Welcome to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, Steve Vaughn, with me as well on this edition. And one of our goals in this program, Steve, is to equip the man and woman of God to every good work. And that includes in the area of family, sexuality, and these hot-button issues that are so much import in the day in which we live. We, we have to be equipped. We have to be ready to stand against the zeitgeist, which is the spirit of the age, and you know what? So much of what we're doing is swimming against the tide. You know, you get the impression we are countercultural at almost every point. Uh, at one point, we had something of a Christian common denominator that made up our Western culture, but not so much anymore. You know, whereas we might have been in agreement with the culture on 78% of cultural social matters. I'd say that's roughly, you know, 1.2% at this point. It just <laughs> appears that we are so countercultural at every single point, and therefore we need to be on the guard. We have to be constantly going back to the Word of God and saying, what does God's Word have to say about sexuality, family, and all these other things? I remember growing up in a small town, and that was exactly how it was, that, that people— at least gave their respect to the Christian faith. Most people went to church on Sundays, Wednesday nights. Nothing happened because that that was church night. We didn't have baseball practice or anything. Games were Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, because you didn't do anything on Wednesday because that was church night. Saturday was family day. No games, absolutely nothing happening on Sunday because that was church day. That Businesses were closed. All businesses were closed on Sundays, except for the hospitals and the clinics like that, that if you needed something. But, you know, that that just was how it was. But today, all games are on Sunday. I mean, that's, you know, let's let's stop pretending we're you know, we don't go to church anyway. So let's play games and play baseball and stuff like that on Sunday. Most of the perceptions on sexuality have shifted in America since the year 2000. In other words, America was still somewhat conservative on issues like homosexuality and polygamy and such until the year 2000. In 2001, 53% of Americans were okay with sex between an unmarried man and woman. Of course, that would have been closer to 30% in the 1970s. So I would say, yeah, a significant amount of uh, motion had already been made. Now that 66% of Americans are okay with sex between an unmarried man and woman. But polygamy is the big issue. Of course, homosexuality shifted as well, but polygamy shifted from 5% of Americans okay with polygamy in 2006 to 16% in 2011, 20% in 2015, and 23% in 2023. You got to see a trend there. It's about five times the percentage of Americans that approve of polygamy today, as did so uh, 17 years ago. And that is, you know, the same arguments can be used. I mean, once once you start to be okay with homosexuality, then you know, love is love, and so you know, why not polygamy? Why not you know, eventually bestiality? Why not polyamory? Why not any of those things? Because if you're if you're not if you're turning away from God's law on what the Bible says about marriage and all of that, marriage and family, then you know, sky's the limit. Anything goes. Christian culture took pagan views of homosexuality, polygamy, slavery, etc., so common in Greek and Roman society in the first century. 
Christian culture took those and effectively replaced them with a Christian view over a period of about a thousand years. Now, homosexuality went out the door pretty quickly. Within three to four centuries, that was gone, more or less, from human society. Uh, But uh, polygamy, slavery, that took about a thousand years. Uh, These things sort of hung on there for quite some time. And then, of course, as we begin to see Christians lapse, they start to bring homosexuality, slavery, and polygamy back. And uh, so we return to pagan culture. When Christianity lapses in places like Europe and North America, more on this history in just a moment on Generations. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered, Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularists for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. And we are back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you. And now we're starting to see an acceptance of polygamy, not so much slavery, but to some extent, there has been a toleration, an increasing level of toleration of aberrant forms of sexuality. Uh, and it comes by way of the uh, encouragement towards pedophilia. Pedophilia is increasingly uh, accepted in our society today, uh, especially among homosexuals, at least those who don't appreciate the age of consensuality. And so, wow, we've got, uh, we've got a, a battle to fight here. And, uh, you know, the massive increase in the number of children that are being trafficked for the purpose of providing something for the pedophiles in America and other nations around the world indicate to me that the, the work that's been done by the sexual revolution in the 1960s and 1970s is uh, bringing forth a fair amount of, well, extreme evil in this country and many countries around the world today. And I don't think governments are really that interested, to be honest with you. There's a lot of lip service to the idea of limiting child slavery, but man, it's just lip service. There's not really that much of a commitment to come down on pedophiles and to come down on incest uh, polygamy and these other forms of sexual perversion. 
Well, Mormons and Muslims have been okay with polygamy. Slavery and polygamy have had the same problem, though. Both slavery and polygamy was not God's intention for man. Man man was not created to be a slave, and women were not created to be of, of multiple wives to a single man. So Christian culture was able to dispense with both slavery and polygamy over a long period of time. I tell the full story in Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. Truly, it was a spectacular cultural achievement on the part of Christian civilization to eliminate the problems of slavery and polygamy from the Western world. Again, slavery and polygamy was not God's intention for men. As Jesus comes to redeem, Jesus is able, over time, to eliminate these forms of uh, uh, social interaction that have been so negative and so bad for men and women around the world. Slavery and polygamy have the same problem. They were not God's intention for man from the beginning. Christian culture was able to dispense with both of them over a long period of time. It took about a thousand years to finally get rid of slavery in England. In fact, it was Anselm, one of the archbishops of Canterbury, one of the most important men of the first thousand years or 1,100 years of the Christian church. Anselm of Canterbury was one of the people that were able to put the final kibosh on slavery and slave trade in the English Isles. Of course, it was the Muslims that brought it back. Uh, of course, they were working very hard to bring it into Europe in the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, until lapsed popes took up the vision and then pressed it into South America, and the rest is history, of course. So Christian culture was able to dispense with polygamy and slavery over a long period of time. In fact, I think the last polygamous king in England would have been about 1200 AD, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I can't remember if it was one of the Scandinavian nations. I think it was a Scandinavian nation. So polygamy was virtually eliminated uh, by 1000 AD. Same thing with slavery and England and other Christian countries. took about a thousand years to get rid of polygamy in these Christian countries. But then concubinage and polygamy starts coming back with lapsed Catholic kings in France and England in the 1400s, 1500s. Charles II, James II took upon themselves. Uh, multiple concubines and had uh, at least 12 children out of wedlock for each of them. Uh, These were the Catholic kings of England, Charles II, James II, some of the uh, worst kings in in history. They killed tens of thousands of Scottish covenanters and uh, also initiated the slave trade into into the Americas. They they were the ones that uh, were able to bring the slave trade into Georgia and the Carolinas in the 1670s, 1680s, in fact, they monopolized the slave trade and, uh, and brought that curse into North America, largely the Stuart kings. Catholic kings lapsed Christian kings, Charles II, James II, exceedingly debauched lives uh, and uh, 12 illegitimate children each. Louis XIV as well, another uh, Catholic king, uh, follows Henry IV. Henry IV was somewhat of a closet Protestant, but 12... Uh, assassination attempts on his life, uh, and he was eliminated eventually on the 12th attempt. So Henry IV did not survive. But Louis XIV comes next, and he's exceedingly debauched in his sexual life. He's a committed Catholic, produces at least 16 illegitimate children. So again, what we're seeing is a return to polygamy and, of course, to uh, slavery as well. 
as we see this uh, period of time in which there's just this lapsed Christianity. It's terrible. Bringing polygamy back, bringing slavery back into the Western world. Slavery comes back with uh, Pope Nicholas V issuing the Doom Diversus Bull, reinstituting slavery in 1452. I can read it for you. We grant you, that is Portuguese and Spanish friends, that's what the bull writes in 1452. We grant you by these present documents with our apostolic authority. Apparently the Pope is still claiming some kind of apostolic authority at the time. Full and free permission to invade, search out, capture, as in kidnap, and subjugate the Saracens and pagans and any other unbelievers and enemies of Christ, wherever they may be, and to reduce their persons into perpetual servitude. Okay, that comes by a lapsed Roman Catholic pope. And then later in 1548, Pope Paul III authorized the purchase of Muslim slaves in the Papal States. Even more significant was the pope's issuance of a bull called the Sublimus Duus, uh, intended as a Magna Carta for Native Americans, but later withdrawn due to political pressure coming from the slave trade sector. Early Protestantism also opposed the Catholics on slavery, and the tug-of-war between revived humanism and the Reformation continued. John Calvin commented, we must praise God for having banished a very cruel brand of servitude, bond slavery, Calvin said, was a result of man's fall into sin, all things being turned upside down. In his commentary in Deuteronomy 24-7, Calvin affirmed, the death penalty for man-stealing and selling into slavery. Okay, so that continues, of course. That slave-based system continues out of Portugal and, and Spain. Of course, it was the influence of Islam in Portugal and Spain that inspired the Portuguese and the Spanish to reintroduce slavery into the Western world. Not to be undone, of course, the English jumped into the trade uh, early on, and I told you a little bit about the faith-lapsed Stuarts, King Charles II and King James II, that uh, fast-tracked the English slave trade into the American colonies. Uh, So, friends, that's the history on slavery. And, of course, polygamy is coming back now as well. Uh, Muslims and pagans have always had polygamy. The Bugandian kings in Uganda specialized in multiplying wives to themselves. Sunna II, 1820 to 1856, he excelled in the practice, collecting for himself a total of 148 wives. He had ordered all 25 of his brothers uh, to be executed when he seized control of the throne and, uh, and then he engaged a busy trading operation with uh, slaves uh, sold off to the Muslims. So that, 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 that went all the way into the 1850s, 1860s, until uh, slavery was abolished uh, later on. So, friends, that's that's the history of it. What does the Word of God have to say about these uh, forms of of pagan practices? Well, I think the Word of God is very clear. Uh, divine revelation gives us exactly what we need on these issues. Uh, adultery is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Unmarried sexual contact is a sin. Certain forms of divorce is sin. It's wrong, as defined by Scripture, as defined by the Word of God itself. But does the Bible speak of every form of polygamy as a sin? Does the Bible speak of every form of slavery as a sin? I'm not going to touch on slavery right now because we've dealt with that many times before. But what we find in divine revelation is a lack of clarity in the Old Testament on certain things upon which God adds some clarity in the New Testament. I'm not saying there's any contradiction here. We're just seeing increasing levels of clarity. We certainly find that in the case of divorce. I believe the divorce is considered as a, as a sinful thing in the Old Testament. Uh, but Jesus does allow for uh, an exception in the case of, 
uh, adultery or porneia, as he says. And I believe that the Old Testament passage, in a more of a vague sense, referred to the same principle. But when it comes uh, to polygamy, the Bible forbids kings to multiply wives to themselves. And this, again, would address the Mormons, the Muslims, the Muslim kings, the caliphates that would always be adding wives to themselves. This is a big thing for the Muslims, has always been a big thing for the Muslims. But the Word of God is very clear on this. Here's Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set up a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return the way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. There it is, lest his heart turn away, etc. So the Bible forbids also elders in churches from having more than one wife. So this would be, I think, very much uh, coming after Deuteronomy 17, the admonition given there in the Old Testament here in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1, the Bible forbids elders in the churches from having more than one wife. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the Position of a bishop, he desires a good thing. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. The Greek word there is mios. One wife. One. Mios. One wife. It's just the opposite of what Muhammad and Joseph Smith taught. Uh, all the way back into church history, same thing. Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Augustine, others. I have this in Keep the Faith on Sexuality. I won't take the time to read it, but uh, Christian history has always taken a position against polygamy. It goes all the way back to Justin Martyr. Who's Justin Martyr? Steve, you know who Justin Martyr is. He's writing at about 120, 130 A.D. That's pretty close. Mm -hmm. That's about as close as you can get to the first-generation Christians. So early on, what do we find with Christian history? Also, Jesus, what does he say? Matthew 19. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two, the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. By the way, he didn't say they three shall be one flesh. He said they two shall be one flesh. One plus one, one plus one, not one plus two equals one. One plus one equals one. Okay, get your math right. One plus one equals one. <laughs> also, polygamy begins where? Where does polygamy be begin? It begins with Cain, not Adam, not Seth. No, no, it comes in Cain's line. Cain is the ungodly line. Polygamy comes in the worldly line of Cain with Cain's great-great-grandson Lamech. Genesis 4.19, Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada. The other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel and all the rest. Then Lamech said to his wives, this is Genesis 4, verse 23, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What is this? But Lamech is the big man, creating his harem, becoming bigger than God, acting autonomously of God's law order. He's vengeful, as if he has more full of wrath and justice than the God over heaven and earth. And he's autonomous and takes a second wife for himself. This is just the, the pattern of the autonomy of man and the creating of the first tyrant on planet Earth. Lamech is. The first tyrant on planet Earth standing up against God and presenting himself as a more formidable God than the true and living God who does, you know, 
brings his law to bear absolutely a standard of justice, but the Lameks of the world, the Hitlers of the world, the Stalins of the world are always the cruel men, the power-hungry men, the power-centralizing men in their little harems or their bigger empires either way. Uh, but this is not God's way, not, not God's way. For life on planet Earth, God's way is the relationship of one-to-one, creating one flesh, uh, not the de-relationalized lifestyle of Cain who wanders east of Eden then creates the de-relationalized lifestyle of polygamy and all the rest, by the way, also establishes the first city of anonymity and so forth and so on. So, all right, a completely different worldview than what God provides for us as his ultimate standard for life, for society, for human relationship on planet Earth. Trust him on this. Go with what God said, not what with man comes up with on his own. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. I encourage you to this little book, Keep the Faith on Family and Sexuality, I have a section on polygamy and other aspects. Certainly the hot-button issues like abortion, homosexuality covered in this little book, Keep the Faith on Sexuality and Family, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.